morning, church. <clears throat> Thank you, Brian, for leading us so well. Um, that first song, he asked if he could sing that. I said, yeah, it is an old one, but one of the things about songs in the church is there are not a whole lot of songs about the Trinity, um, so that was a good one to bring out to go with the second one that we did. It's certainly good to be able to open up God's Word <clears throat> with you this morning. I don't think there's anything better than time alone each day in God's Word, and then for us to culminate that by gathering together weekly to sit under solid preaching from the Word of God. So I encourage you this morning to open up your copy of the Word of God to Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. We'll be looking to Philippians chapter 3, and we'll be focusing on verse 12 through 16. But as you turn there, think in your mind about a time in your life that you had something that you looked forward to, something specific in your life, <clears throat> something you had your heart set on, maybe a big goal that you had. Maybe it was you eventually getting to high school. Remember that? Some of you are looking forward to that, wanting to get to high school, and you got there, and you're like, wow, I'm at the bottom end of the totem pole once again. Or focusing on that sweet 16 and getting that driver's license that you thought would never come, and it eventually did. Or how about graduating high school? or college for that. For some of you, you look forward to graduating college the first time, and the second time, and the third time. Are you on third one? Something like that. <laughs> Lost count. <clears throat> but that's a big goal that people look forward to. How about finding that someone special in your life, and you eventually set that date to get married, and you anticipate that and look for that as it comes close. Or maybe you find out that you were expecting and you remember the excitement and the anticipation awaiting that miracle to come into the world. Or maybe you've done something crazy like run a marathon. I don't know why you would do that. <laughs> or even more, I don't understand why you would pay to enter to run. That doesn't, I don't understand that. But maybe you've done that, and that's a, a big goal to accomplish. And there are probably so many more big goals or events that you have looked forward to, or maybe currently you are looking forward to. Everyone has something probably somewhat different if you were to ask across the room. For me, the past three months, I've been focused on getting that ugly club off my hand that I had as a cast. I had surgery, and significant surgery, and it took a long time to heal. But last Thursday, I had my second surgery, got the cast off, and now I just wear this for the next three months as I continue to heal. But that's kind of where my mind was set for a while, looking forward to get that off. <clears throat> but many of our goals, they just happen. And all we have to do is just wait it out. Young people, you will eventually turn 16 and you will eventually get that license. And you guys will eventually find the one that you truly love. Just wait, pray, and wait on the Lord for his timing in that. But have you ever had a goal in your life that you had to work really hard at? Something that took great dedication, took a lot of discipline. And the road to get there, it was not easy. But you persevered knowing that reaching that goal and attaining that prize would be very much worth the effort. Going through it currently, I would put seminary in that category for at least myself. But I was thinking... All right, I got a few more in there. <laughs> but as I was thinking about this passage and kind of preparing for today, I was reminded of a time back in 1995. 
I was at the time a second degree black belt in Taekwondo. My previous instructor, Jeff Payne, he was putting on this major tournament, Taekwondo tournament. It was the Midwest Championships and people were coming from all the surrounding states to compete in this. And Jeff had invited me to come not only to compete but to be part of a demonstration team in the middle of the tournament. And this was nothing new for us. We had traveled across the Midwest and the East Coast performing demonstrations for schools, churches, and other organizations in hopes of getting their attention of the young people so that we would have a captive audience and be able to present the gospel to these students. Well, I trained hard for months for this tournament. And after many hours per day training, many sparring partners, many bumps, bruises, sores, bloody noses, the time had come for me to actually compete. And I knew it wasn't going to be easy, but I had trained hard for this and I was ready. <clears throat> I certainly was excited to be a part of the demonstration team because I just like showing off some of the skills that I had. But for many months prior to leading up to this event, my mind was set on one goal. And that was the prize of becoming the 1995 Midwest champion. The day came and things were certainly going smoothly as we went throughout the day, getting all the people through the different divisions. Uh, the black belts, they typically competed last because we were the one judging all the colored belts um, below us and watching them uh, do their fighting. But about mid-morning came and it was time for us to put on the demonstration. And everything was great until the last break of the day. We always closed out our demonstrations by attempting either one to put our head through three feet of concrete, which would explain some things maybe, <laughs> <clears throat> or we never accomplished it though. It just ended up hurting, but it got people's attentions. Or we would do, or I would do a flying side kick over five people and kick through two pieces of concrete that was typically held on a board. Um, <clears throat> that particular day, I decided, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and do the kick so I don't have a head injury concussion and I'm not able to compete and do what I have trained to do. So I went on to do the kick. I broke the concrete as planned. But as I was standing there and the crowd was kind of cheering me on and I was waving at them, I realized that I was standing in a puddle of blood. Long story short, there was a staple that was sticking out of the board that he was holding, which typically happens when you buy wood, and somehow it had fallen down and sliced the top of my foot right at the bend and cut me open pretty bad. So we took a trip to the ER, and I got several stitches in the top of my foot and left with discharge instructions to not participate in the tournament. But being the stubborn person I was, I decided I was not going to listen to the doctor I had trained hard and I had my eyes on this prize and I was not going to back out. So we got back to the tournament and my instructor gave me the same instruction. You do not need to participate in this tournament. That was not going to happen. We had some conversation and uh, I was not going to back out. We eventually came to an agreement that I could fight, but I could only fight using one leg. <clears throat> um, so that didn't rip the stitches out, which made sense. But... There was going to be some very difficult fights that day, and they were very difficult. But I pressed hard, and because of my training, because of not giving up and keeping my eyes on the prize, which was a four-foot trophy, and what kid does not want a four-foot trophy sitting in their room, I went on that day to win the 1995 Midwest Championship, kicking with only one leg. You say, why in the world did you just tell us that story? 
I believe that it somehow relates to the passage that we see today. You see, Paul had his eyes on a goal to win a prize. And for him, it was not some rinky-dink trophy that would one day be gone, that would one day be worth absolutely nothing. I don't even know where that trophy is today. But he had his eyes set on the prize of all prizes. He had his eyes set on an eternal prize. And nothing else but receiving this prize mattered to him. And he would do whatever he needed to do to attain this prize. I want to look at this passage today and see just what it was that Paul had his eyes on and set and encourage us, even plead with you guys today to join Paul in pressing towards the goal that he passionately pursued. I know you have goals in your life that you are moving toward, and that is a good thing. It is good to have goals. We need those in our lives. And with this new year in full swing, I am certainly uh, sure that there are many goals out there that were set this year, probably many that have already been broken. But don't give up. Continue on. But I promise you this, that there is no goal, no prize that you can press towards that is more important, that is more rewarding than what Paul is speaking of here in this particular passage. And I hope and I pray that if you have not set your sights on this goal, that you will before you leave here today. I hope this will be your main goal in life and that you will never stop advancing toward this goal. It's not going to be easy, and most likely there's going to be some minor and maybe even some major setbacks in your life, but that's okay. We see plenty from Paul, but he kept pressing on. So let's look at this passage here in Philippians 3, beginning in verse 12. He says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. <clears throat> Life is a fight. It's a battle with very real enemies, whether it is Satan, whether it's the world, whether it's our own selves. And we see this in Ephesians 6.2. And in this fight, we must be committed to the fight. We must have self-control, 1 Corinthians 9.25. And I like the sound of a good fight. And there were times when Paul used terms dealing with fight. Even speaking of boxing, and he said in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. But Paul probably used the example of a foot race more than anything. And running is important in training. As I said earlier, I've never really been able to get into running. I know the benefits of it. I understand that. And I did that. But I never truly enjoyed that. But as we see Paul speaking of this running this race, it's a fitting illustration to help us see the passage today of how we are to press on toward the prize. So in our time together this morning, I want us to realize four things. One, I want us to realize our current state. Two, realize the work involved. Three, realize the focus needed. And four, realize the correct motivation. 
So let's first see that we must realize our current state. In this passage, Paul is not talking about an actual race, but he is referring to a spiritual maturity. He's thinking about reaching the prize of spiritual perfection because it is spiritual perfection that he is actually in pursuit of. This is what he longs for, and he's talking here about Christ-likeness. And he often speaks about what this will look like. We see in verse 21 or 20 of this chapter, he says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And John speaks with similar language in 1 John 3, 2. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. You might be thinking, yeah, this is great, and I'm excited about this day. We sang about it in several songs this morning, but we're not going to reach that in these bodies, so why are we striving for that now? Well, I have to say that if you were a believer, I would hope that you would long to be like Christ, even here and now, knowing that you are working toward glorification, and one day we shall be like him. We shall be moving through the process of sanctification every single day with this prize in mind. <clears throat> but we are right to understand that we have not reached the state of perfection at this time. But this should give us great zeal as we continue to move forward. Paul understood this when he said in verse 12, he says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. He knew that he had not attained perfection yet. And you will notice that he repeats this word already twice to emphasize the fact that he was still imperfect and he had not reached this goal. <clears throat> and this was important for him to point out because there were some that may have been thought that if anyone could attain perfection, it would have been Paul. <clears throat> And the Judaizers were teaching spiritual perfection, but doing it through circumcision and keeping of the law. And if that's what it takes, then we have no chance. We have no hope. <clears throat> we also see the Gnostics taught that there was a spiritual perfection awaiting those who work to attain a certain level of knowledge. And even today, there are some that believe we can reach this state of perfection we have the Keswick movement or the higher life movement that believes that Christians should move on from his initial conversion experience to also experience the second work of God in their life or this entire sanctification. And they mean somewhat to say in a different way that they are filled with the Holy Spirit in other terms. The teachers of this higher life movement promote the idea that Christians who receive the second blessing from God can live a more holy or even a sinless life. Well, there are two problems with that. One, as believers, the Holy Spirit resides in us from the moment of conversion, and he is constantly doing a work in your life. There is no getting saved, and at a certain point of your life, somewhere down the road, bam, you automatically have the Holy Spirit at that time. You now have the Holy Spirit working in you as a believer. And Paul tells us back in chapter 1, verse 6, that I am sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You are indwelt with the Holy Spirit from the moment of your salvation, and that Holy Spirit works in your life until the day of Jesus Christ. And second, we will not be sinless until Christ completes the work in us, and we are standing before him on that day when our faith shall be sight. 
And until then, we must realize that we are not and we will not be perfect. We may be moving forward in our sanctification, but we are still in our human bodies. And at times, we give in to our flesh, don't we? And there are times that we fall into sin. But just as Paul had Christ working in his life, we have Christ working in and through our lives. And when we are weak, Christ's power is made perfect in us. And that power is working in us as the same power that raised Christ from the dead. So make no mistake about it, that the power of God at work in your life, it will bring about change. And as followers of Christ, we should desire this change, and we should strive with all our might to reach this prize. So to pursue this prize, we must first realize <clears throat> the current state that we are in. We really need to be dissatisfied with who we are in our walk with the Lord. Because if we're satisfied and we're content to be maybe this mediocre Christian, then that's a dangerous place to be. We get comfortable with who we are and the sin that we dabble in. We may never see our weakness and realize that we're going downhill and we will not be growing. MacArthur says it is only those who are aware of their desperate spiritual need who come to Christ for salvation. And it is only those who continue to recognize the need to eliminate sin and cultivate holiness who will make progress in the Christian life. You see, so much of this has to do with our frame of mind. For an athlete to win any competition, he has to have a certain frame of mind. When I was competing, I had to have a certain frame of mind. And that goes with every athlete. And the same is true for the spiritual race that we are in. Paul completely rejects the idea that even at this point in his life, he has won the race. Paul has sacrificed everything in his service for the Lord. Even still, he was certain of one thing that he had not completely grasped hold of the spiritual and the moral resurrection that lists one from among those who are dead in sin and made perfect. And at this point, Paul had been a Christian for some 30 years. If anybody was going to be perfect, it would have been Paul. He should have arrived by this time, but he was sure that he had not yet been made perfect. Positionally, yes. But he was far from arriving in the full measure of perfection. And the same is true of us. Our struggle with sin, our struggle with fear, our struggle with doubt in our lives, it's not yet over. <clears throat> and we look at Paul as a great man of God, and maybe people thought he was perfect, but he struggled just like you and me. And we see this in Romans 7, 14 through 25. <clears throat> it says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Anybody have that problem? <clears throat> now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. <clears throat> For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law wearing 
waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I certainly will speak for no one else in this room, but I can echo the words of Paul here in saying, wretched man that I am, because I have so far to go. So we must first recognize our current state and not be content to stay there. <clears throat> but next, we must realize the work involved. We must realize the work that is involved. Paul says in the second half of verse 12, he says, But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Most of us here today realize that we have not arrived. And I hope we understand that we still have much work to do in our lives. But if we only have this awareness that we need to improve our skills, we may be in trouble. We may be aware of the need to pursue the prize, but we can't stop there. No, we must diligently pursue it, and we must pursue it hard. Paul says that he pressed on. This means to run or follow after, to pursue or to chase after. This must be an aggressive, strong push to attain the prize, and it will not be easy. There is work that we have to do. If you think, talk to any athlete who has big prizes, talk to any football player, they'll tell you that it's not easy to, to train. It's not easy to continue to push on. And in 1 Corinthians 9.24, Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize, so that you may obtain it? Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And then we see in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set out before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We attended a church many years ago in Alaska, the first one that we went to there, and they had signs hanging throughout their church that said, Let go and let God. That is the wrong answer. Where do we see that in Scripture? To where we just let go and let God do the work. I've read the Bible in its entirety, and I have not seen that thinking being taught. No, for us, we have to run with great endurance. <clears throat> we have to have self-control. We discipline our bodies. We fight the good fight of faith. And to do this well, we must put aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us. You see, Jesus grabbed hold of us and he saved us. And we now need to put aside these things and we need to run and cling to Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and I believe Paul lived this desire out every single day in his life. And the Bible does not allow any of us to escape the demands of personal discipleship. Using the excuse that maybe we are, we're too busy or that we're doing better than this guy over here or we're fine with who we are. 
or that the standards of the calling are too high. Paul had one thing on his mind, and that was to know Christ. Let's read again in verse 7 of chapter 3. It says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God, that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He says, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. <clears throat> rubbish doesn't necessarily do justice to what he is talking about here. What he is talking about here, if you have changed a diaper ever in your life, you get the picture of what he is talking about. <clears throat> We must cling to Jesus with all our might. Count everything as loss. I don't know if this will work or not, but I picture someone who is swimming in the ocean, and they begin to drown. And as they are struggling, they realize that they need to be saved. And the lifeguard sees them out, and they goes out to save them. And he grabs the one who is drowning and begins to drag them in. And I'm not certain if you've ever seen someone actually drowning before, um, but once that lifeguard grabs them, they don't just say, well, thank you very much, and I'll enjoy the ride back in. No, what do they do? They cling to them with all of their might, panicking many times, making it difficult for the lifeguard to bring them in. We need to cling to Christ. You see, Christ has already endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. See, Christ's goal was to save you, and he accomplished that. You remember that God showed us his great love and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were alive spiritually or physically and intellectually, but not spiritually. We could not at that time understand the things of God. In fact, the gospel of Jesus Christ was foolish to us. We were enemies of God. But then God grabbed hold of our lives. He brings us out of darkness and into the light. He brought us from death to life. He removed the heart of stone and gave us a new heart of flesh. And then we began to believe that Jesus was who he said he was. We have an understanding of scripture. And this is what it means when we read in verse 12 that Christ Jesus made us his own. <clears throat> Are you in this group of people? He has chosen you. Or has he chosen you and made you his? Are you able to see and understand his love, his grace? Do you cherish the truth of the word of God? If not, then this is where you need to begin today. You must acknowledge your sins to God and you must repent. You must turn from your sin and turn to Christ knowing that you need him. You must put your faith in Christ and then you must commit your life to him and follow him. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him every single day.
Colossians 2.6 says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built it up in him, and established in faith, just as you were taught. We can't receive the gospel and then move on to something else, because there is nothing else. Just as you receive Jesus desperately and in faith, so walk in him. Keep looking to him. Keep trusting in his grace. Keep relying on his power in your life. Paul says in verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Stay focused on this central truth. Keep marveling at God's great work of salvation through Jesus Christ. So we must realize our current state. We must realize the work that is involved. And then next, we must realize that we need or realize the focus needed. He says in verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Paul gets a little bit more intimate here with the word brother, and he's, he's kind of saying, Guys, perfection has not been my experience. As a believer in Christ alone, I'm still far removed from the goal of spiritual perfection. Whatever anyone else may claim, I have not yet to lay hold of it. He has not arrived, but Paul was not complacent either. And we shouldn't be complacent in our lives. When you watch a runner in a race, he is persistent concentration on one and only one thing. To press towards the goal of the prize. And as he moves towards that prize, there's absolutely nothing that will divert him from his course. And this is the way that it was with Paul. He aimed at gaining Christ and perfection in him. And this concentration was critical for, for Paul and it certainly is critical for us today. There is so much in the world that can distract us from the race that we are running. <clears throat> the cares of this world, there are health problems that can take us, distract us. Seeking wealth and prosperity can distract us. There are all kinds of desires that you may have personally that can distract one from the spiritual goal that we should be keeping our focus on. Paul continues and he gives up three steps for how we should be doing this. First is forgetting what lies behind. Paul says that he forgets those things that are behind. You say, well, well what is it that we are to forget? I mean, what did Paul forget? Did he forget everything that had happened to him? No, that's not it. He didn't forget all that he had learned, obviously. He wrote most of the New Testament. He didn't forget the Bible and the knowledge that he had gained over the years. He didn't certainly didn't forget about God's grace and mercy in his life because he wrote about it very often. He did not forget who he was. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, he describes the person that he was before God met him on the road to Damascus. And then he speaks of the mercy that God gave him. There are times in our lives when things happen to us in the past, whether it is good or bad, and we hold on to them so tightly that it overshadows the present. And these things keep us from moving forward. Maybe there's something that was earth-shattering that happened to you in your life. Maybe you had a horrible year, or maybe you had an incredible year, and you think nothing will ever compare to that. But bad things happen, and great things happen. If you live long enough, they will happen. But we are to forget about those things in the sense that they are not constantly dwelling, or we are not constantly dwelling on those things. 
We need to let the past be the past and constantly look forward to what God has in store for us in the future. Because you know what? We have a prize awaiting for us that will blow everything you have ever known out of the water. Your greatest day on earth is nothing compared to what is waiting for you in heaven. Think about this. You're running this race, and you are in the lead. You're smoking everybody. What happens when you turn to look back? Bad things happen. You turn around, and naturally you turn around, you are going to slow down. And what happens then? You get past. Or you're running this race, and you're so worried about what's behind you that you turn around, and your body is no longer in proper alignment, and you trip over your feet, and you fall on the ground. Ouch. It's going to hurt. There's pain there. A runner should never look back lest he lose his speed, lest he lose his direction, and possibly lose the race altogether. Looking back while racing is dangerous, and the same is true for our Christian walk. We do not want to look back. Think about when God led the people of Israel out of Egypt towards the promised land. He gave them everything that they needed for their journey. He gave them clouds to shade them by day, lights by night. They did not go hungry. But they came to a point when they stopped looking forward to the promised land and they started looking back to Egypt. They were like, man, I wish we had some meat to eat. We remember the fish that we ate and it didn't cost us anything. We remember the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. We never see anything now, banana. No thanks. They looked back and began to want these things once again. And God gave them all that they asked for. They had their fill of quail. They had so much quail that they were sick of it. But my point is making is this, is that they looked back and they did not trust God for their future blessing. We should thank God for his blessings in our lives and remember the great things that he has done for us. Because I think it gives us strength. I think it gives us hope for the future to be able to look back and see what God has done in our lives and to know that we were here, but now we are here. We shouldn't forget. But it is hard to move on if we are just obsessed all the time with the past. We need to forget what lies behind, but we also strain forward to what lies ahead. This is an unwavering progression. The verb in the uh, original language is, is very graphic. It pictures this runner straining every single nerve and muscle that he has, and he keeps on running with all his might towards the goal with his hands as if to reach out and grasp that. And this is how we should be in our race. But is Paul being foolish when he strives to reach this goal that he knows he can't fully obtain? Are we foolish for striving so hard to reach this goal? I think the answer is twofold. One, although we cannot reach this objective here and now, we can indeed make progress towards this. The state of perfection is by no means all or nothing. As Paul himself teaches throughout Scripture that there is this such thing as making progress in our sanctification. The line of progress, it may zigzag, you may go forward and you may go back, but that does not rule out the possibility of very real change and progress in your life. And that progress may be slow, very gradual for those who come to Christ. Number two, spiritual perfection in Christ is actually granted only to those who strive for it. 
The prize is given to those who press on towards the goal. We see in 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, it says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up a crown of righteousness with the Lord. The righteous judge will award to me on that day. And not only to me also, but to all those who loved his appearing. So we realize our focus. And next, I want us to realize our correct motivation. Paul continues on and he says, I press towards the goal of the prize of the upward call in Jesus Christ. The word goal here is what Paul has his eyes fixed on. With all his heart, Paul longed to be completely raised above sin. He longed to be perfectly whole. And why do we press on? What is this goal? What is it that we are pressing towards? To be like who? To be like Christ. To have Christ's likeness in our lives. Christ saved us so that we might become like him. So above everything in life, we press hard towards that goal. Ultimately, nothing else matters. And I'm not saying that nothing matters in life. But there are things that are important to us, and they should be. But Christ's likeness should be our number one aim, the most important thing to us, and that is our prize. There is only one race that ultimately matters in life, and we must run it with all that we are and all that we have as the power of the Holy Spirit works through our lives. Are we going to reach that goal in this life? No. But this is the goal that we should work so hard for because we, when the upward call of God happens, we will get that prize. We will be like Christ. We will have gained protection or per perfection. And on that day, we will be like him because we shall see him as he is. And this should give us great motivation. I can't wait for this day. And Paul longed for that day and believed in it with all his heart that he would get that prize. We saw that there in uh, 2 Timothy 4, 7. He says, laid up for me a crown of righteousness. He knew what was coming. I am waiting for perfection that God will give me on that great day. How about you? Are you pressing on with everything that you've got? Are you pressing on like nothing else matters in your life? What are or what were your New Year's resolutions? Was it to run the race with all you've got? If not, I pray that you would make that your aim today. Verse 15 says, Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. This is how we should be thinking. Just as this passage said, we should think in this way, or be intent on this, or to set one's mind on this. And that is pursuing the prize. I think this is the prayer of your pastors, that we would all have this mindset, that we would have this one goal in mind, that we would recognize that nothing else matters. And there are other things in life that if we put our mindset on this one goal, other things will fall into place that do matter. He says in verse 7, he says, but whatever I gain, I counted loss for the sake of of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For this sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. To think that you can call yourself a Christian and not know about Christ, 
his resurrection, how it applies to your very life is just foolish. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 5, he says, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried and raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. And earlier in there, the letter, he said that I declared to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Everything in our life should flow from one fountain, and that is knowing Christ. In 3.10, I'll read this again. It says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So for us to press on well, we must realize our current state, realize that we have not arrived, we have not attained perfection, not while on this earth. We must realize the work involved. We must run hard. We must have self-control. We must fight hard. We must realize the focus. We must keep our eyes forward and stay in our lane. Forget the past and focus on Christ and what lies ahead. And we must realize the correct motivation. We are to do what we are doing is for a prize, to be like Christ. And I hope that we long for the day when we reach perfection, when Christ calls us home. I pray that we would have great anticipation, that we would long for the day when we will see him, the one with whom scars are on his hands and feet because of what he did for us on the cross, the one who defeated hell, death, and the grave through his power and resurrection. I pray that we would long to be like Christ and we would do whatever it takes now to press on towards the prize. Stay in your lane. Keep running the race with great endurance and don't look back. I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. We do that with prayer. We do that by the reading of the word. And we do this by seeing examples. He says in verse 17, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. We see the example of Paul. And you can go back and read more about his life and be amazed at what he went through. Yet he kept pressing forward. And I am certain that if you were to talk to those who knew Lillian and Gary and Debbie, <clears throat> that they would tell you that she pressed forward, that she was reaching for that prize that she now has attained. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, it is so easy for us to put our minds on worldly things and take our minds off of you. We have a lot in this world that can do that. We even have our own sin that can take our eyes and our minds off of you. But I pray that we would look to this passage, that we would look to the life and the example of Paul, and that we would press forward, Father, continually moving forward, not looking back. Lord, keeping our eyes on the prize that you have for us, Lord. 
Lord, we look forward to one day not having to worry about sin, not having to worry about death. And we look forward to being Christ-like. Father, I pray that we would think upon these things, continue to study these things. And I pray, Father, that that would be our goal in life. We ask this in your name. Amen. Stand together.